Theonauts episode 62. The one where we make like a tower and babble. The Theonauts podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's Word. Hello, all you Nimrods out there. I'm David Gaddy. And I'm Brooke Perkins. And together we are the Theonauts. Yes, so Jeremiah almost made it. He was he just almost made it. <laughs> and I was so ready. <laughs> yes, Brooke is back with us to uh, fill in in Jeremiah's absence. Uh, Jeremiah uh, thought he was going to be able to break free enough to sit in on today's episode. <laughs> it's driving him crazy that he can't uh, participate right now. But uh, next week... So we we did uh, a um, oh what do you call it a blockbuster movie trailer last week to promote his return and he should be back with us next week Lord willing and we will be discussing uh, eschatology so that should be fun end times yeah you love that stuff don't you I love it <laughs> I've I've not never been that big of a eschatology studier but uh we'll have fun talking about it anyway you just live it yeah yeah so what have you been up to man well what have i not been up to i feel more like the question ought to be (laughs) i've built a storage shed my father came down from amarillo and helped me a couple of weeks and we built a storage shed and really glad to get some of the things out of the garage that have been just Stored as best I could. Yes. <laughs> well, I just got back from vacation. I was in Colorado. Oh, so how was that? That was amazing. Because, you know, right now it's about 100 and what, 10? <laughs> or in North is Texas. that 150? Yeah, that's what it feels like anyway. The heat index is just out the roof. And uh, the, it was raining up there some, and it was about 51, 52. On several days. Oh wow! <laughs> so yeah, it was. A, I actually had to put that's, on a hoodie at one point. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, it was. It was a good time. We, uh, Melanie, uh, grew up there, and so she had not been there in twenty. I want to say twenty three, twenty four years. That is amazing. So, so yes, yeah, the first time we've been up there. And that was where she grew up. Yep, yep. She was uh, uh, well born in Texas, but raised. In the Durango, Colorado area. Mm. So she was like a little kid in a candy oh, I store. I mean, we were. <laughs> she was showing me all the sights and everything that she saw when she grew up, and mm-hmm. and so it was. It was lots of fun, and it was nice and pretty, and and we did some hiking. I went up. Uh, we climbed uh, Mount Engineer, Engineer Mountain. Oh man! Yeah, that was crazy. Thirteen thousand feet, and we almost summited. My son and I. So oh. <laughs> yeah, we got really close. So Melanie kind of uh, camped at the timber line and waited on us and let us continue on up. Uh, that is quite a feat. 
yeah, up there where the air is thin. Yes, that was the big problem. There's no oxygen up there. And wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so anyway, um, did you get any feedback from your last visit with us when we did our our crazy X Files? type of i i really have it i uh, shared it with a few people but no i this is kind of a you know um no man's land so to speak right not many people tend to dig into uh what you and i are kind of looking into yeah. a few of but they're kind of spread out seem like yeah it scares some people it does <laughs> it does admittedly so it's uh you know but you know i've heard someone say if you want your child to be excited about the Bible, I mean, tell them about the giants. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like right there with every comic book and you know that, that we have. It, it's just amazing. Yeah, think well, think stuff. about the blockbuster movies that are are popular right now. I mean, you got Thor and, and stuff like that. I mean, it's yeah. based on similar you know stories. It is. So, yeah, I think it's really fun. And, and so, how much of that is, is just someone's imagination? Or could it be, you know, there might be some basis for some of that. Right. So let's get on into it. Okay, that's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that music. That music is appropriate. I absolutely love the X Files. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's one of the best TV shows. You and I both. Ever love that. And did you see where they're bringing it back? At least I did not. Yes, really, they're doing a short run. Um, it's either the last part of this year or the first part of next year. Oh, uh, David Duchovny, Gillian Anderson back together that is yeah, amazing it's, it's gonna be like a short six or mm -hmm. ten episode season something like oh, that. oh yeah i'm there but anyway i thought that that's appropriate for what we're doing because this is some really mystical stuff and we're gonna you know gonna be kind of a continuation of what we talked about last time we talked about giants mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about giants some this time too but that's really not our focus one of the things that we meant to talk about last time but really just kind of ran out of time is this character of Nimrod. And so we're going to kind of focus on him and the things surrounding him uh, in this episode and, uh, you know, hopefully get you guys to study a little bit about him because we're still studying about this stuff. Um, I mean, like, definitely, like, like you said, it, it's like we get we're, we're getting ready to present stuff and it's like, wow, I don't have enough information yet <laughs> for what I want to say. Well, we're we're going back, you know, four thousand years, and trying to find sources and source material that that lends valid credibility mm -hmm. to to what we're looking at, and it's tough. Yeah, well, and because I don't want to say, hey, I read this book and it sounded cool, you know, and this is what this author thinks. I, I want to go find the stuff myself and mm -hmm. and want to make sure that. I have it straight in my head before 
before I declare something. And and I don't think that you know there are any firm answers on this stuff we're talking about. This is a lot of it speculative, uh, but it's just one of those cool things, mysterious things. Everyone loves a good mystery. And well, we know there were giants in the Bible. Okay, mm-hmm. what were they like? Who were they? What was their origin? Mm-hmm. Valid questions. Yeah, and then there's all these mysteries around us. We look around, we see the Great Pyramids, we see Stonehenge, we see all these, the, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, Easter Island. Mm-hmm. We have all these, these things that we just wonder at because it was built in ancient times, um, almost to a point of perfection that we can't even duplicate today mm-hmm. with our modern technology. Um, so it begs to... To, it always has us asking the question, where did that stuff come from? Do we want to succumb to the ancient alien theory? <laughs> <laughs> right. It depends on how you define alien. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Amen. Because there could be, you know, some of, of uh, uh, ties to what people commonly call UFO sightings or whatever to some of the stuff we're going to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Um, Anyway, I, let's just start out looking at what the Bible tells us about this Nimrod guy. Uh, it's not much. <laughs> it's not much. <laughs> and so, fr- from a um, from a show that is largely theological, uh, that might sound strange, but um, there are some other writings that we referenced last time that are um, they're not canon scripture. They're not part of inspired Word of God. We don't claim they are, but I would consider them somewhat authorized by the biblical writers. Mm-hmm. Um, we've read from the book of Jasher. We've read from the book of Jubilees. Both of these books are named by name mm-hmm. in uh, the Old Testament. Uh, we've read some from the book of Enoch, which was quoted word for word by the brother of Jesus himself, Jude, mm-hmm. in his short little writing. And uh, Peter and Jude both made reference references to things that happened according to the book of Enoch. Yes. So, um, so you know, there's some validity to these things. They just don't have to be scripture. Right. You know, I mean... Right. Um, what we consider canon, but yes, there there's certainly valid sources that I think we can we can glean uh, much information and valid, you know, just... Or what I would almost call valid information, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, they, they were they were material that, that Jesus had when he walked the earth. Right. Well, and, and as I believe we mentioned in the last go-around, similar to a, a history textbook. A, a history textbook is not... Um, canonized scripture. It's not inspired by God. Mm-hmm. But does that mean you distrust it? You know, maybe you should <laughs> on some history books that we have. But, you know, generally you go to the library, you look up inf- information about the Civil War, you're going to trust, you know, that the, everything's documented and that there are sources and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And so we kind of do the same thing with these books. We treat them that way. Uh, they're not to be treated as holy writ, but they're they can be treated as historical, and they were at least trusted by many of the ancient writers. And Flavius Josephus was a very well-respected uh, historian uh, shortly after the time of, of our Lord. And, uh, you know, we rely upon him quite a bit yep. in 
he's quoted quite a bit. And so, you know. All right. So let's look at where this guy Nimrod comes into play. Uh, we read about him in the last time when we were reading out of what's what's commonly called the, the Table of Nations. It's in Genesis, the 10th chapter. Um, and in this chapter, we have a uh, just a list of names, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, genealogy. It's one of those chapters you usually just skim through or skip over right quick because it has a bunch of words you can't pronounce in it. But... Um, but there's always these nuggets of information, these cool little finds that you can glean from these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, Genesis 10, verse, beginning in verse 8, says, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Uh, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Um, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erek, Akkad, Kalnah in the land of Shinar. And from that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, and Kalah and Resan between Nineveh and Kalah. That is the great city. So, <laughs> lots of big names in there. Mm-hmm. But there's some cool stuff uh, dealing with this guy, Nimrod, obviously an important person uh, in this time frame. Um, there is o- only one other biblical reference, obvious biblical reference to him, and it's in First Chronicles 1, verse 10, where it just simply says, Cush fathered Nimrod, and he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. Well, it's interesting when you, when you think about the time of Cush, and he lived in the generation that lived over 400 years. Right. And right. can we reasonably say that he only sired one son in 400 years <laughs> well, it, it's you yeah, know and a lot of times the females aren't mentioned right so you know it, it, it begs the question well yes that's scripture but yet you know oftentimes there are many names in the lineage that just aren't mentioned at all mm-hmm. right and uh, and also, we're dealing with the sons of Noah, ultimately. And Noah was told, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Um, and so, obviously, if you're given that command, you're not just having one or two kids. You are going to have a bunch of kids. Obviously. Oh, yes. So, um, so, this guy, why focus on this guy? I mean, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about him. Um, but... What when it starts to become interesting is when we start looking into what uh, legend has to say about him, uh, what some of these ancient writings that we were talking about before have to say about him, uh, his name itself. Let's look at that. Yeah, his his name is certainly fascinating to me. Yes, what's it what's it mean? We shall rebel. We shall rebel. Or the rebellious <laughs> one. Why would you name your son just? Either before or after the womb, the rebellious one. I mean, I know kids can be little terrors, but, you know, why name your son that? Right. <laughs> that's kind of fascinating. Yeah, well, and, and that's a similar thing in this whole family. Um, all of, of Cush's children and stuff, it's like all the names were, you know, uh, wickedness and and 
terror and turmoil and you know all these names that that it, it makes they, they almost were prophecies in mm-hmm, some way mm-hmm. or you know prospectively looking back it almost seemed like some of these names are very prophetic yes well in our last uh, podcast we talked about how or I say the last one the last one you and I did we talked about um, the the giants from the land of Canaan mm-hmm. and we talked about all of Canaan's children mm-hmm. and how we went back and showed how all these these uh, groups of people that God said destroy them all to Joshua and everybody when they were coming into the land of Canaan that's harsh it sounds really harsh and it makes it sound like God is a you know a discerner of people when he says he's not uh, it makes it sound like he's got an issue with these people to, to wipe out their babies wipe mm-hmm. out the, you know everything but uh, whenever you start to look at it there's something genetically going on there's some genetic problem here mm-hmm. and we believe that that ties all the way back to the Genesis 6 account yes where you had these fallen angels that came to earth and they mated with women mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and you know it's, it's, it's interesting that gets explained away in most uh, commentaries uh, as you know that the, the sons of man the sons of God coming down to the daughters of men is re- in reference to um, the sons of S- the line of Seth and the daughters of men being in the line of Cain mm-hmm. but that makes absolutely no sense from a historical reference uh, the words that are used it makes no sense in, in reference to it it uh, saying and there were giants in the land in those days okay Mm -hmm. almost like that is a result of this uh mating so why in the world would would that be um be made so there's this weird thing happening and we kind of talked in the last time about how that gene probably came through uh noah's um children's wives Mm -hmm. or at least a couple of them um was it? Did we read in? Was it Jasher, where it talks about that it was only a matter of a few days before the, Noah went yeah. into the ark that he chose it was, the wives? It, 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 it sounds that way. Okay. It makes it sound like it was real sudden. Like, well, I'm gonna have to populate the earth. Got to find these kids some wives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of vetting. That <laughs> And there weren't a lot of choices, that, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it ended up with these these girls who probably had some some genes, some genetic issues because of all this weird stuff that was going on, and it appears they passed that on to their children. And Genesis six five says, and also after that. Mm-hmm. So apparently, after the flood, right? There right. was something that was going on again after that linked it with what was happening before the flood, maybe in just some little different ways. Yeah, and obviously we've got references to uh, Goliath being a giant and his brothers. I mean, we, uh, the king of Og and and his, his uh, extreme size. And apparently size. <clears throat> the Philistines came from the isle, the island of Crete. Right, which was Capthor. Capthor. Which is what we were just reading about here. All Greek mythology in starts the, in Crete. Yep, yep. So you got all this, the, the Titans and, you know, all this stuff in, in mythology um, can have a historical seed of truth mm-hmm. from all this stuff. And I know it's, it's kind of hard for us to, to wrap our heads around. But um, if we look at this one particular guy, Nimrod, um, 
Let's look at, at what it says here about him being a mighty man. Um, did you see anything specific in that that um, that might be telling us anything? It is well, kind that, of strange how it's worded. Yeah, the, well, I was uh, in, we looked at this a little bit uh, prior to uh, become, coming on air, but it says that Nimrod began to be a mighty one in the earth. And that phrase, a mighty one, is the term, or the Hebrew term, gibor, right. G-I-B-B-O-R, which can be translated, you know, various ways, strong, powerful, uh, valiant, valiant uh, giant. Uh, it can be translated several ways. And that word is found, uh, even you'd uh, mentioned about David's mighty men, you know, and the term is translated mighty there, you know, from the term, same term, gibor. Uh, so it can be translated just, you know, some strong, mm, powerful, valiant right. person. Um, so uh, we have some possibilities that, that I've written down uh, that we can assume that Nimrod simply became a strong and powerful man. We can assume that. We could assume uh, this possibility that Nimrod began to become a giant himself, perhaps. Or Nimrod became or began to become a hunter of giants. You know, what's the, which is the right one, you know? Uh, it, it's, but, but I turned to the Septuagint, and I, that was interesting uh, as I turned to the Septuagint account of Genesis 10, 8, and 9. Because to give a quick background on the yes. Septuagint. Septuagint is a uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, translated around 200, 270, I think. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe, no, it was older than that, 700 and something, B.C., uh, which would have been in the time of the Greeks. So at this time, the, the Jews weren't even speaking much Hebrew. Mm -hmm. They were speaking Greek. Uh, so they so they translated their scriptures into Greek. There were seventy guys that did this. Uh -huh. That's where it gets this the term sept Septuagint. Mm -hmm. And um, so and and obviously these guys are closer to the original source than any other translators. This is the really the first translation uh, that of, of scripture exactly that occurred. So these guys are really close. They are, they know all the the myths, the legends, the, the all the things that tie in not just the Bible but all the surrounding uh, understanding and the um, all the exegesis that they have. And that I think was so important that we have that mm -hmm. uh, and still have that and can rely upon that. So what does the Septuagint say here? Well, this is uh, taken from Genesis 10, verses 8 and 9. And listen to how the Septuagint word, you know, translates uh, this passage. And Cush begat Nebrod. He began to be a giant upon the earth. He was a giant hunter before the Lord God. Therefore, they say, as Nebrod, the giant hunter before the Lord. So, you know, even though we notice, probably obviously, that Nebrod and, and Nimrod are not the exact same spelling of the name, uh, when we link it to the canonical text of Genesis 10, 8, and 9, we can see that clearly it's, it's speaking about the same person. But they translate it 
he began to be a giant upon the earth mm. and a giant hunter. So, you know, was he just a big, powerful person, or was he actually becoming a giant? And, and we could obviously read that as just being, oh, he's a big guy. But in the context of a big guy amidst physical giants, that we've already, we are familiar that there were physical giants, well, then it, it does lead to the possibility that this guy, you know, at least became a giant himself. Exactly. So, um, so why is it spe- specific? Um, like I, I, one thing I saw about the Septuagint was that um, in the later passages where it uses this word Gibor uh, and it's talking about David's mighty men, mm-hmm. the the Septuagint continues to reference that and translate it as mighty. It doesn't translate the same word as giant. So why would they choose to translate Genesis ten? as giant, but then turn around and translate the same word as strong or mighty in uh, a a later passage. It seemed that they wanted to make a distinction. Mm -hmm. Or like they knew something we don't know about this guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, so anyway, uh, very interesting about about this Nimrod, the rebel or whatever. Um, I'm going to read a little bit from Josephus. We mentioned him. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit. Please do. He is a um, a historian. Uh, he wrote uh, one of the one of his writings is called the Antiquities of the Jews. This this writing comes from the Antiquities, uh, Part One, uh, Chapter Four, Verse Two. It says, "Now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man." And of great strength of hand, he persuaded them not to ascribe it to God, as it were through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was their own courage which procured that happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God, but to bring them into a constant dependence upon his own power. He also said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again, for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Sounds pretty rebellious to me. Mm-hmm. Sounds like his name fits. <laughs> That's pretty audacious to try to say, okay, God, I'm coming for you. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, obviously, in chapter 11 of Genesis, we do have this story of um, this Tower of Babel. Um, And it sounds like that Nimrod had a hand in that. And uh, we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, But uh, one of the things that... um, is is interesting that I wanted to, to talk about while we're talking about who this guy is and how we know anything at all about him besides what the Bible says here. Um, there is some archaeological evidence in the area uh, that the Bible's talking about. Um, and as a, if the Bible mentions this guy like he's somebody special, he's a mighty king, uh, built cities, uh, you would think there would be some archaeological evidence of this guy and there actually is. There's plenty of evidence that point to the kings of uh, Sumer, 
or Shinar or Babylon, this okay. area that it talks about him <clears throat> building. It also talked about him moving to Assyria at some point and building Nineveh. Nineveh obviously being the center point of the story of Jonah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the capital of Assyria uh, at the time of the story of Jonah. And uh, so there are references to a great king of that time. It didn't actually refer to him always as Nimrod. And that's one of the things that, that makes this study a little difficult, mm-hmm. is because the name Nimrod could, could be a title, so, which, may, which would make sense, that mm-hmm. the Bible would not even honor the man with an actual name, mm-hmm. but instead call him the rebel. There was the son of Cush was the rebel who was mighty, was a giant before God. Okay, uh, and and made you know uh, war against him more or less. Okay, which yeah. is one way we could we could look at this. All right. So, um, how many guys are there? There's a lot of them. One of the ones I want to specifically look at right quick is a man by the name of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. Gilgamesh is uh, a, an epic poem. That the more archaeology uh, uh, is looked at, the more it appears that this Gilgamesh guy was an actual historic figure. And uh, the story, the epic of Gilgamesh, uh, was found, it, there's many copies of it uh, found in stone tablets and things of this nature from the Sumerian area. Um, the timing and the location of Gilgamesh is the exact same as Genesis 10. So we're dealing with the same location, same uh, same timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gilgamesh is described in this epic exactly as Josephus just described him in that passage we just read, or as he described Nimrod. So the similarities are really quite uncanny between Gilgamesh and this Nimrod. Too much to ignore, I think. Right, and that's what a lot of these um, references... I think it's being shown through some of our studies that Nimrod has a lot of names. Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing is, I'm I'm having a harder time finding some of the ones, like I found Gilgamesh. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... If we look at, at in this the story of Gilgamesh, the, uh, the the way the the epic tale of Gilgamesh goes is it's basically a flood story. It's a global flood story, mm-hmm. just like the story that we have in the Bible. Uh, this Gilgamesh character is a hero in it. He is a um, he is a a great warrior, a leader, okay. um, and he decides to go strike vengeance against the god creature who brought the flood upon the earth. Uh-huh. Okay, this god creature's name in the story is Huawa. It's very similar sounding to the Jewish name of our god, Yahweh. Hmm. So That's cool. So you have this 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 name the name is very similar. So in this epic, uh, Gilgamesh seeks out uh, Huawa to try to kill him, and uh, and ultimately does mm-hmm. uh, severs his head and and this sort of thing. But he declares vengeance on him and seeks to destroy him because of the flood, which Josephus told us Nimrod 
had it in mind that he would build this tower to prevent uh, any more floods from uh, causing a problem and to be able to avenge himself on God for destroying their forefathers. Okay. So there's a similarity thing mm-hmm. going on here. Also, yeah. um, Gilgamesh is from a place called Uruk. Mm-hmm. One of the cities that that um, Nimrod built is Erek. Same consonants. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these ancient dialects didn't even have vowels. Mm-hmm. So it could, we could be talking about the exact same place. Um, Uruk, Erek, very, very similar. Um, Gilgamesh was described as being 11 cubits tall. That, that puts him into the giant category. Mm-hmm. I would say so. <laughs> so uh, a cubit is anywhere from, what, 18 inches to... 21, yeah, somewhere. Something, 21 inches, something like that. So, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at, you know, um, a good size... <laughs> Guy, <laughs> and it's interesting that if we go back just quickly to the Genesis account, that it tells us that he began to be mm-hmm. this, right? So it's like he may not have been born this way, perhaps, but he started becoming mm-hmm. this. And there are, and we talked about in the last episode, uh, this hybrid hybridization, transhuman type of, of thing that could have been going on, mm-hmm. uh, which led to the Egyptian gods with the half-man, half-beast type of things. Right. Some of the Greek uh, yeah. references in mythology also do that. Um, and as well as, um, you know, uh, human transformation of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was also, Gilgamesh was also a builder of cities. Well, that's one of the few things the Bible does tell us about Nimrod, mm-hmm. is that he did he was a builder of Let's cities. Let's read that. So, um, that's, that was in the last part of, that was verse, what? The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, in the land of Shinar. And, of course, then he went to Assyria to build Nineveh and Rehoboth, Ir, and Kala. Okay. So he, uh, it's like he not only was interested in progressing things, he was interested in ruling things. Mm-hmm. So this is talking a guy who builds more than one city is interested in building an empire. Right. <laughs> right. You know, he's, he, he's, he's got an ego to maintain. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, and of course, Gilgamesh was also described in the epic as a mighty hunter. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way. (laughs) So, yeah. um, So, a lot of what I got about uh, about this guy came from the book of Jasher. Uh, Man, if you guys can use your hands on this, it is a really fun read. And, uh, you know, a lot of extra-biblical text... Read very foreign, like they like Jubilees here. The Book of Jubilees does not read like Scripture. I mean, it just the dialect is not the same. The the it doesn't have the poetic pattern in mm-hmm. you know the, like the Bible does. Um, but the Book of Jasher reads like Scripture. I mean, it it really a lot of the same types of 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 techniques that were used in Hebrew poetic structure is used in this book as well. And it's just fascinating. It fills in all these little gaps 
in the story. And the thing, one of the things that's interesting is this guy, Nimrod, has a huge part to play in the Book of Jasher. Um, he's not a little character who occupies a couple of verses. He occupies chapters in this book. Um, most of it is doesn't tell us a whole lot. He was the king of Shinar, which is his main role in the mm-hmm. story. Okay, but what a lot of people don't don't uh, think about is that, like you said, these guys are living. Noah lived to nine hundred years old, over nine hundred years old, mm-hmm. which means he's still around during this time, obviously. And uh, you know, we get a few chapters later here in Genesis, and we're going to get to Abraham. Abraham is alive the same time. Nimrod is. He was alive at the time of the um, of of all of this stuff. So, um, according to the Book of Jasher, he was even around during the Tower of Babel incident. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is very interesting. You don't think about that. I mean, you think about him coming along after, <laughs> because of the sequential pattern that mm-hmm. we read in Genesis, right? But um, let me just run through a few things that the book of Jasher tells us okay. about, um, about Nimrod. Um, here's an interesting thing. Adam and Eve's garments, the, one that, the ones that God made himself uh, to cover them after their transgression, was apparently a valued item in the family. It was passed down from Adam and Eve to Enoch. Enoch passed it down to Methuselah. Methuselah passed it down to Noah. Ham stole it from Noah and then gave it to Cush, his son. And then Cush uh, then in turn gave it to Nimrod whenever he turned 20 years old. And when Nimrod put it on, and apparently that's the first time it's been put on, uh, according to this this story in the book of Jasher. So he, he puts on this... These clo- this clothes clothing that Adam was given by God, mm. and it says that it increased his strength and it gave him power from God. Hmm. Um, don't know what that means. Yeah, <laughs> but that's uh, when the Book of Jasher almost exactly quotes Genesis here, here and says that he became this mighty hunter before God. And wow. um, that's nice. So it goes on, and it says that he became a king. He waged, he waged a great battle against um, some of his other family, obviously. Uh, and in return, um, by this time, there's hundreds of people. Um, he had over four 400 people that he got together to wage this war. And whenever he won it, he was treated as a champion, and he became he was named king. And at that point, he began to rule in the uh, Shinar area, which is Babylon, the Babylon area. Okay. Uh, he became friends with a man named Terah. You may know Terah from our Bible. He's the father of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Um, he becomes friend, friends with Terah. Terah actually serves in his court. Um, and Terah has this son, Abram. Well, whenever he does... There is this weird sign that happens in the stars uh, at night, and some of the astrologers saw it, and they interpreted it to mean the son that was just born is going to overthrow the kingdom. And so Terah felt obligated to tell Nimrod about this. 
Well, when he did, Nimrod said, I want your son. <laughs> I'll pay you silver for mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and Terah didn't want to give him his son. And he basically said, look, you're either going to give me this son, Abram, or I'm going to uh, kill your whole family. Wow. <laughs> so Terah pulls a sneaky one, gets his handmaiden's uh, child, and brings it to Nimrod. Nimrod kills it. Um, so then he takes Abram as a baby and takes him to Noah, and Noah and Shem uh, raise Abram. And wow. <laughs> now, wow. Now, once again, this is all extra biblical, but there's no reason why this is not plausible. I mean, it all, it, it still all works. Right, it does. <laughs> I see it. <laughs> and, it, and it. And it all fits in. It's just the type of thing that we don't normally mm-hmm. think of. So uh, Noah and Shem secretly raise Abram uh, until he's 40 years old. Um, then um, the, his uh, Nimrod's families uh, of uh, Foot, Mitzrayim, Cush, and Canaan, about mm-hmm. 600,000 people came to him because he was king of Shinar, and said, "Let's build this tower. Let's um, and and basically quotes the same thing that we get in Genesis mm-hmm. eleven. Let's look at Genesis eleven right quick. I'm, okay. st- I'm still reading in the ESV. Uh, verse, starting with the first verse, it says, "Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come." Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, the bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from, the, from there over the face of the earth and they left off the city, building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. Okay. Okay, so... The book of Jasher goes into a little more detail and says basically what happens is these these family members of Cush and Canaan's side of the family basically came and, and they were the ones who said this. Come, let us make bricks. Come, let us build this tower. And uh, Nimrod agreed to it. Now, one of the interesting things that Jasher tells us is, is that, yes, the motivation is exactly what it says in the Bible. But they also had other goals. One of the goals was to reach God and to make war with him and replace them and replace him with the stone gods that they had made themselves. So they had it in mind that they were going to wage war on God. And this tower was going to be a method in which to get there. Um, so the so could it have been just a big, you know, brick tower? 
Apparently, this was a pretty massive mm-hmm. tower. Was it just that? And I know it's speculation, but, you know, we know that there's nothing new under the <coughs> sun. And apparently, the Egyptians had technology that, that has been lost, and we, do, we don't know what all they, they knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Great Pyramid, uh, you know, it, it wasn't just, a, it was not a burial tomb. Right. It was not a burial tomb. And they knew things. We don't know what they knew, and that's, you know, hard for us to kind of go back and uh, we just wind up speculating. But they obviously knew something to even be able to build these things the way they built them. And it, it might have been very possibly a big machine mm-hmm. that wanted to get into another realm. Right. And if we think about, and, and this is from a scientific uh just speculative standpoint but if we look at uh, many of the things that the scriptures tell us um, one of the things that we can imply is that God is outside of our time he's not part of our uh, he's not part of our time our linear time domain and the reason why we can speculate that is because we have now been able to actually uh, show that time can be affected in small ways by speed and by gravity. Mm-hmm. Well, God's obviously not affected by speed, nor is he affected by gravity. He is outside of that. And this term eternity, we often think of it as a large amount of time, but it's really not a large amount of time. It's the complete absence of linear progression. So um, with, with that in mind, um, if you can move through time the way we really move through the other dimensions uh, that, that we currently move in. We currently move around freely in three dimensions. The fourth dimension of time, we move one direction in it. Uh, we can move forward and look back, but we can't move back mm-hmm. or move for, or um, look forward. Mm-hmm. So you have this, this very straight uh, linear path that we can travel. However, if any of you guys have ever read H.G. Uh, Wells' The Time Machine, he does a really good job in that book of showing uh, what happens whenever you can time travel and, and what is, can be observed. And that being, um, he had a little model that he wound it up. It was a little time machine model of his big one. And uh, he wound it up and turned it on, and whenever he did, it disappeared. And everybody was, like, freaking out. They were like, oh, that was a great disappearing act. And he says, no, you don't understand. It's still there. It's just in the future, so mm-hmm. it's not it's not here in this t- in this time, but it's in the same spatial location. Mm-hmm. It's just not where we can see it because it's in the future. Mm-hmm. Okay, stop and think about now, Jesus Christ. What do we have after his resurrection? Appearing out of nowhere in a locked upper room, mm-hmm. then disappearing just as quickly. Uh, we can think of it as disappearing, or we can think of it as simply walking through a dimension we can't travel in, moving into that a fourth dimension mm-hmm. of time or or wherever. And uh, so, anyway, this this is all technology in a way. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke said, "Any type of technology, if advanced enough, will seem like magic to us." Right. And so this is this is uh, very well could have been th- this. Uh, there was ancient knowledge that the watchers, these these fallen angels, brought down with us. These 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 books tell us that they brought knowledge that 
secret knowledge man wasn't intended to have, and that's part of the reason why it was eradicated off the earth. Uh, did you have, we talked about Jubilee chapter 8. 8? Yeah, do you have that? Sure. Just get right back. Because um. <clears throat> that, that what kind of plays into what kind of knowledge they had and how God viewed that knowledge. Yeah, it, it's, again, you know, we, we don't find this in the, the canon of Scripture, but there's a, a passage that talks about our facts that, which... The son know, of Japheth, right? Yeah, son of Japheth, and, you know, that, that is given there in the, the Table of Nations in, in Genesis chapter 10. It's taking me longer than I thought. But in Jubilees chapter 8, I came across this rather interesting passage, and uh, this is going down through verse 5. And Jubilees 8 says, In the 29th Jubilee, in the first week, in the beginning thereof, our pact said, took to himself a wife, and her name was Resoeja, the daughter of Susan, the daughter of which would be Shem's son, Elam. And she bare him a son in the third year in this week, and he called his name Canem. And the son grew, and his father, or fact said, uh, taught him writing, and he went to seek for himself a place where he might seize for himself a city. And he found a writing which former generations had carved on the rock. Notice he said former generations. And read what was thereon. And he transcribed it and sin owing to it. Mm. It's kind of a vague passage. Yeah. Uh, but it goes on to say, For it contained the teaching of the watchers in accordance with which they used to observe the omens of the sun and moon and stars and all of the signs of the heaven. And he wrote it down and said nothing regarding it, for he was afraid to speak to Noah about it. I wonder why. <laughs> Lest he should be angry with him on account of it. I would say that Noah would be quite angry with whatever it was that he found written on this stone. And, you know, we, we just don't have what was written down. But whatever it was, it, it was bad stuff. Yeah. And it, it, well, and it obviously had to do with omens and the stars. So this plays into all these, these guys, like the, uh, Nimrod surrounded himself with what? Astrologers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> these guys who, who w would make divination from the signs in the heavens. That's why he went after Abraham in the, uh, in the book of Jasher, yeah. was because of a sign that mm -hmm. it was seen in the heavens. And so there is some knowledge, some information that we're not privy to that um, that could have existed during this time. And it could have, if Nimrod had enough of this information, he very well could have been building a pathway mm -hmm. through this Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the interesting things that, that God says uh, in the Bible itself, Genesis 11, he says, um, in verse 6, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Now, That's pretty enlightening. You might just think that they're silly thinking that they can build a very, very tall tower. 
that could get them into heaven. But whatever it was doing was not too silly in God's eyes. Mm -hmm. God saw a danger in what they were doing because he said that what it is that they're proposing to do will not be impossible. Nothing. There's a way that they can do this. Nothing. If they succeed, in other words, they're going to be able to do whatever it is that they wish. Mm Now, now it was, according to the book of Jasher, a very, very, very tall tower. Uh, They said it's referenced that to carry bricks to the very top was taking a year to carry the bricks to the top. Wow. And uh, if anyone dropped a brick, it was devastating. Wow. (laughs) Because it was such work to get it all the way to the top. Okay. And that if people fell off of it, no one bothered it. No one bothered with them. It was just like, oh, well, let's just keep moving forward. They were very mm. single-minded and very focused on this. Uh, during this construction, they divided into three parts um, for this project. One group had made a decree that they would, um, that they would kill God. That was what their decree was. Wow. Uh, another had made the decree that their point was in order to not be divided. That was their main purpose, was to stay united. Um, and the other third was um, there to try and supplant God with their, their worship. So um, it, to put their stone idols or whatever in, in the heavens and worship them there. So that was the... Mm. So you had these okay. three distinct groups uh, that were that were building and doing this construction. The ones that wanted to kill God, the ones that that's what their goal was. During the construction, they would fire arrows into the into the heavens around the Tower of Babel, and these arrows would fall back to the ground covered in blood. And it says that uh, that this was God rusing them and fooling them. But what they saw it as. We've killed those in heaven, mm-hmm. and there's an empty space up there waiting for us to fill it. Um, so what God did is when he says, come, let us go down, I've always read this to be confirmation of the Trinity, God speaking to himself basically in three persons. Mm-hmm. However, according to the book of Jasher, this is a conversation that God is having with the angels. Uh, and he's basically giving them instructions. Come, let's go down and take care of this. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what okay. they did. They went down. They, they caused the, uh, the languages to be confused. And each one of the three groups had a different uh, punishment because of it. The, the ones who wanted to kill God, whenever their language got confused, they began to kill one another because they were so angry that one of them would bring a limestone whenever he was supposed to be bringing another type of stone, oh. but because they couldn't communicate, mm-hmm. they were losing and they get mad and kill one another. Uh-huh. And so they basically killed themselves off. Um, the uh, one I thought this was interesting. A third of them, the ones that wanted to make their home there uh, and put their stone gods in, in God's place, um, their punishment was they God turned them into ape-like and elephant-like creatures. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know what that was all about. 
But then the last third uh, was scattered. They're the ones who just wanted to stay there. They wanted to not be divided. That was their whole goal is that they would all be gathered in one place. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who were scattered abroad into all the world. Okay. So that the, and the people that weren't actually working on the tower that were just surrounding citizens, mm-hmm. they went with them. So that's mm-hmm. where all the division uh, throughout the world began. So this guy, Nimrod, he survived this and he still managed to rule in Shinar, but changed his name to uh, Am Raphael. Um, the the Book of Jasher still refers to him as Nimrod, but it does come right out and say that that they then called him Amraphel, and, and I'm I did not look up the, what the meaning of that name is, but I'm sure it has something to do with the event um, and the result of it. Um, so. Um, Continuing on, the book of Jasher also tells us that Nimrod throws Abram in the fire, into a fiery furnace, just like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Mm -hmm. in the book of Daniel. Uh, He does this because Abram, at the age of 50, shows back up and begins to tear up all of Terah's, his father's, uh, idols. Okay. And uh, this gets him in trouble with Nimrod. Nimrod tries to destroy him in, in this furnace. Uh, he and his brother, Haran, both. Uh, Haran dies in the furnace. Abraham comes out unsinged, completely unburnt. And um, this leaves Haran's son, Lot, as an orphan. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Abram, whenever he leaves the Shinar area, or the um, uh, at this, this point they are in um, the area of Ur, uh, he leaves this area with Terra and Lot. Um, Nimrod released Abram because of this huge event coming out of the fire unburned. And about 300 people then followed Abraham from that point forward. Remember whenever Lot gets in trouble um, in Sodom mm-hmm. and gets captured by, yes. the, by the five kings. Mm-hmm. Well, Abraham goes after him with 300 armed individuals. <laughs> so tell me more about this, because you were, you were telling me a little bit about for, for the podcast. This is fascinating. Yes. Uh, so, um, uh, so Abraham, obviously, he walks out of, out of Nimrod's kingdom with 300 people. Now, if we go into the actual, fast forward into Abraham's future a little bit, he settles in the land of Canaan. Okay. Grows and grows and grows. Lot gets, um, they get crossways a little bit because the servants of Lot and the servants of Abraham can't coexist in the amount of space they've got. So Lot, uh, Abraham gives Lot this, uh, anywhere you go. Mm-hmm. You choose where you go and I'll mm-hmm. go the other way. Mm-hmm. Lot chooses to go to Sodom and Gomorrah, the cities. Now, these cities were uh, founded by one of these groups of people that left Babel. And um, so Lot goes there, and he ends up actually becoming probably someone of pretty good stature because um, there is this group of five kings mm-hmm. then that attack Sodom because uh, I think Sodom was founded by the children of Elam. 
which is uh, is that Jason J Jafith? I'd have or to Shin. go back and look. It's, in, anyway, they're the good guys, kind of, <laughs> from from that aspect. Kanan and um, and his people, Nimrod, they're they all uh, then come to attack Lot and company uh-huh. uh, in Sodom, and they take Lot prisoner. Mm-hmm. When Abraham hears about this, Abraham takes. 300 people with him and goes and gets Lot back and, and defeats five armies of these five kings with 300 people. Kind of sounds like uh, that movie, The <laughs> the 300. The 300, you know, yes. Loosely based on, oh, yes. on the um, exactly. Thermopylae mm-hmm. battle. But, mm-hmm. but anyway, Abraham goes with these 300 people and gets Lot back. Now, here is one reference to Nimrod in the Bible that we, we might not have been uh, privy to knowing. Okay. If we go to Genesis 14, we're reading here about Abraham rescuing Lot in this battle. Uh, in verse uh, 8, it says, it's talking about these, these, kingdom, these five armies. It says, Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Siddim with Shedalamar, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goaim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. Okay, so this is where these five armies uh, defeat Sodom and Gomorrah and get Lot. Okay. But it's interesting that it mentions Amraphel, king of Shinar. In the book of Jasher, Nimrod's the king of Shinar. But remember, after the fall of the, of the tower, it says he was called Amraphel. Uh huh. So yeah, you see another reference to Nimrod here. Exactly in the the actual Bible. Um, so anyway, um, that and, and that stuff is also covered in the Book of Jasher. By the way, the battle against uh, Shedelamar and Elam. Um, Nimrod first battles those guys and loses. Mm-hmm. And comes back uh, defeated. Then he teams up with them to battle against Sodom and, and Gomorrah and actually wins that. So ultimately, um, long story short, Nimrod still is, is alive uh, up until uh, the, the point where we get to Isaac and an Esau. Mm-hmm. And Esau actually uh, is taken by surprise by Nimrod. Nimrod is, remember, he's got a problem with Abraham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd say he does just a little bit. So whenever he sees, whenever he sees Esau, who is a descendant of Abraham, walking around out there, mm-hmm. he uh, says, "Ha, I'll hijack him." So he he um, he goes to kill him, but uh, Esau's one step ahead and was hiding in a bush. Mm-hmm. And when Nimrod came by, Esau jumped out and cut his head off. So that's how Nimrod met his demise, at least according to the book of Jasher. Mm-hmm. So that's really all we know about him from at least the book of Jasher. Um, but there's all these other things, like the Gilgamesh thing, 
like there's a lot of Greek references um, to him that or that may could be references to him as yeah, well. Yeah, it, it you know it really is hard to nail it down, you know, but but this Nimrod character apparently was so renowned that cultures all over the world, you know, took that renownedness for lack of a better word and uh you know almost deified him and 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 uh, worshiped him uh, just apparently with other names yeah you know it's it's hard to say okay this was nimrod you know in this culture necessarily but but he was such a, a notable figure and, and and just was just uh, well it was very common of in the time for emperors or whatever to to deify themselves mm-hmm. in some way. I mean, this happened in the Greek culture. It happened in the Egyptian culture. It happened in the Roman culture. I oh, mean, right. So, right. so it was very common to deify the emperor. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, if you've got a guy of great renown uh, who did great things like this Tower of Babel uh, issue or whatever, then that type of stuff becomes what legends are made of. And before long, he's no longer just a man. He's part God or fully God mm-hmm. know, and all those types of things. So it's very easy to see where he could be deified. Mm-hmm. Um, there, um, you know, th- th- there's this story of his wife, uh, Simiramis. Right. And we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast and, there's lots of information on the online about Semiramis and Nimrod, mm-hmm. but the thing is, like for example, this book of Jasher does not mention Semiramis, um, and I believe uh, one reference to Semiramis comes right out of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, Cush apparently married Semiramis, the uh, that was his daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently through that union, Nimrod came, mm. and then later on, uh, this is. You know, extra biblical, but apparently Nimrod married his. I have yet to verify this, but you know, traditionally, uh, uh, Nimrod actually married his mother, Semiramis, mm. later on and started that. Uh, yeah, a lot of what I've been reading shows that Semiramis may be responsible for a lot of the, uh, the apotheosis that was happening of deifying them. Um, okay. Uh, sh- she is often equated to uh, Astarte, uh, Venus, huh. um, and Nimrod has, has, uh, can be um, associated with Apollo, Orion. Orion was the mighty hunter. Right. Right? And, uh, well, and Venus, doesn't Venus mean uh, the shining one? Mm-hmm. Lucifer? Mm-hmm. Lucifer is known as the shining one. Right. So it's funny how all these things kind of tied, you know, together. Um, but it is interesting that this stuff has just infiltrated our our past, our you know, our history. I mean, mythology is just, you know, everywhere. You can't even you can't get away from it. And the the one of the things that really fascinates me about all this is, you know, some guy that lived right after the flood. Um, and was just like a horrific dude, apparently. <laughs> um, has had the ability, like if if he has been deified by many cultures under different names, 
and this sort of thing. He's had the ability to stretch all the way up into modern times. I mean, because mm-hmm. because if you just take a look around, um, this stuff is 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 everywhere. It, but you know, if you entertain the idea that that Nimrod was known by different names, I mean, just ignore the name aspect. I mean, you know, it it's it's amazing how we've been fascinated by, you know, people that that can do great feats mm-hmm. in whatever ways. You know, we have we have the the comic book uh, saga that's gone on. You know, since the '50s at least. You know, in the '40s, um, and and you know these characters that have superhuman ability to do uh, you know amazing things, uh, and you know my question is, you know, it is this just someone's imagination? But, it, you know, if you go back and look at the biblical account, you know, although it is rather brief on what they physically did, uh, th- there's something going on that that I think we need to know about. You know, uh, it, I just, I cannot ignore the passage in Matthew that, you know, when Jesus said, as the days of Noah were, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. Mm-hmm. All right, so what's that? What does so, that mean? So what were the days of Noah? Yeah. Sometimes we just think, oh, he's the guy who rode in the boat in the flood. He's the guy who built the boat. But does it just mean that simply people are going to be going about their daily business? You know, I mean, if if that's the cursory view that you have and just, you know, skip on and move on and, and don't pay it another thought, out of all of the passages that Jesus could have referenced— he, he referenced his Noah. Yeah, he could have said just as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. Or just in the days of any other sudden event that occurred. Yeah. That, um, so he, he, he singled out that, that time in history. Peter seems to be uh, fascinated with Noah, yes, too, in, exactly. in, in his writings. And Peter is actually one of the sources that quotes uh, or at least mm-hmm. references the book of Enoch. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, almost in the same breath. When he's talking about these things about um, a thousand days or uh, one day is as of a thousand years mm-hmm. with God, and he's he's in that whole uh, time frame talking about Noah and and that sort of thing. And of course, when you think days of Noah, sometimes you only think about the flood. But remember, Noah lived nine hundred and some odd years, mm-hmm. and he lived uh, that 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 puts him three hundred and fifty some odd years after the flood as well, which is right, right. in the time frame of this stuff that exactly. we're that we're talking about exactly. with Nimrod and with the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. This is the type of stuff that that he could be referencing when he says, "Just like in the days of Noah, it's going to be." Uh, and this is this is actually a good segue for our next show because we're going to be talking about eschatology. There you go. And, but there's a lot of people that that speculate that Nimrod is a pre-existence of Antichrist mm-hmm. of, of what of what the scriptures refer to as Antichrist, the Antichrist, or well, the, the coming one. If you what the is it in Revelation or, twelve? Mm-hmm. That talks about the angel that goes down and opens the bottomless pit, and out comes a beast that has a what head wound, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and and how did Nimrod die? He's apparently he was slain with yep. his head cut off. Yep. So it's there's a lot of uncanny, uh, strange uh, things. Where was that one? Um, 
There's a, there's a place here in the book of Jasher where twelve. Yeah, where where Nimrod has a dream. Chapter twelve, much like Nebuchadnezzar, mm-hmm. and um, twelve verse thirty five. I think somewhere. <clears throat> pull it up here, um, and it's interesting in the way that it is is worded uh, because it could be just simply referring to this battle of the five armies. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's a little hobby reference there, <laughs> or it could. Be <laughs> Or it could be referring to um, to the end of days. Um, you said it was twelve and thirty-five. Uh, let's see. Yeah, uh, Jasher chapter twelve or thirty-five, and then it goes into chapter thirteen. Oh, okay, okay. He has this dream, uh, and the dream's weird. I'm not, I'm not even going to really go over it. It has to do with him seeing a river that turns into an egg, which turns into a bird. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, a wise servant of the king, uh, whose name was Anuki. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this guy was probably using some of those ancient <laughs> carvings as well. Um, Any kin to Anunnaki? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Very well. But uh, Anuki answered the king, saying, This is nothing else but the evil of Abram and his seed, which will spring up against my lord and king in the latter days. And behold, the day will come when Abram and his seed and the children of his household will war with my king, and they will smite all the king's hosts and his troops. Um, that's just very interesting that, that he would use the term the latter days, very. um, and that he would use the term Abram and his seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait a minute. His seed. Yeah. Because in the story of the five armies, you don't have, you, you don't have, um, the Abram seed Mm-mm. involved. You just have Abram and his 300 men, um, 318 men or whatever it was. But um, but if he's referring to what did uh, God promise Abraham? Through your seed mm-hmm. will all the earth be blessed. He's referring to Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. And so... Uh, man, and in the end times, in the latter days, that is how our arch enemy is defeated. Mm-hmm. And this, this dude, Anuki... He could be a little wiser than he thought he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he was probably thinking present tense, you know, or something short-term future tense, um, in reference to uh, what was going to happen to the armies. But it can also have longer-reaching effects. But you know, just the things that you and I have talked about before, like oh man, all the 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 uh, mythology that just saturates our environment. Um, our our capital, you know, um, Washington D.C. I mean, just uh, w- that that whole uh, area is full of uh, the Washington Monument. For crying out loud, mm-hmm. is a phallic uh, uh, statue, <laughs> and then the Capitol Dome. There's your dome. Yes, uh, the, inside the dome itself is the uh, uh, on the and the rotunda. On the inside of the dome is a portrait 
it's really weird of of George Washington. This is called the the apotheosis mm-hmm. of Washington. Uh, so it's the deification of Washington. He's placed on a throne in Greek attire, surrounded by Greek gods, yes. Hermes and 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 all these all these other gods. And now that that's just weird. <laughs> That, you know, I yeah, mean, it's you like, think a lot of our founding father, but come on. Yeah, and there's even a statue of George Washington in dressed up in a toga and holding, you know, what is a um, branch or mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's very Greek in its right. And it's and the uh, even the 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 Lincoln Memorial is very Greek in its uh, structure. Why all this tie into Greek mythology? Yeah, you know? it doesn't make any sense. And it's, and what's what's interesting is if it was just one thing here, one thing here, there, because, oh, he was inspired by Greek mythology, that's one thing. But it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. The, the entrance to the Capitol building uh, has Mars on... on oh, it? yeah. Or Ceres. No, I think it's Mars. Is it is it Mars on one side? It's like the god of war? <laughs> So you've got, and of course, Mars, there is another uh, thing that I was looking at. Mars can actually be tied back to Nimrod and the whole Marduk, Marduk. Okay. The whole, um, uh, that could be part of the apotheosis oh. of, of wow. Nimrod. So That's awesome. It's just amazing. Uh, and look at it. I mean, I'm a big fan of, the, of NASA and the Apollo moon missions and all that sort of stuff. Big fan of that stuff. But why in the world are we obsessed with naming it all after mythology? Greek gods. I mean, Mercury. Neptune. Gemini. Um, Apollo. Uh, the, uh, we, we, and we, Apollo is apparently one of the names for Nimrod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, of course, I've heard the theory that you know, it's, it really gets out there that maybe we were trying to make contact with those gods. <laughs> I don't really quite buy into that, but I, I do find it interesting about our obsession mm-hmm. with naming things after pagan gods um, and and just finding the opportunity to inject it where we can. Um, you, you know, I mean, I, you and I have talked, you know, a little bit about Christmas before and we've talked about it on the show, Jeremiah and I have, and I'm not a big fan of of wiping out Christmas because it has pagan roots because I, there's a different thing going on to me. I think that Christmas is an attempt to steal from paganism. It's, a, it's an attempt to redeem uh, that day for Christ. It was an attempt by the Catholic Church to redeem it, which is different to me um, than if we had just chosen, hey, Oh, let's mm-hmm. just celebrate mm-hmm. Semiramis or Tammuz or. <laughs> yeah, it's Whatever. couched in in mysticism. That's you know you do, you're not told about that part of it. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, um, it, it's a very interesting study. Uh, it can go on and on. Like I said, we haven't even finished our uh, how deep it can go. There, are, there are some good resources out there. Some of it you have to be careful of. Some of it. I like to make sure and find uh, resources that ref- that give us firm references of where they got their information, um, whether it be an ancient writing. Like, for example, if you say, well, this comes out of the book of Jasher. 
Well, you can take the Book of Jasher for what it's worth. You can toss it out and say it's garbage, or you can say, hey, it might have some historical reference, but at least we're saying this is where it came from. Mm-hmm. If I just tell you, oh, yes, uh, Nimrod is Apollo, and I don't give you any... Mm-hmm. I don't give you anything to to go off of that. That well, that's just me throwing something out into the wind. Right, right. And so, and there's a lot of that out there. In fact, there's a book by a man by the name of uh, Alexander Hislop. Mm-hmm. He started a huge thing uh, back in, in uh, the last century, um, uh, and in this book of his called "The Two Babylons." Mm-hmm. And he may have done some great research. I don't know. Problem is. He didn't. He didn't refer. He didn't um, annotate his his references. That's troubling. Yeah. So you don't know where it came from, and it might have came from some reliable sources, but we don't know. And so, as it sits, it's a kind of a, a worthless reference material for me because I read it and I go, "Hmm, I don't know if you made this up." Mm-hmm. I mean. Um, yes, a snowman is shaped like some weird Babylonian idol you found. It doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean a snowman is Babylonian. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but anyway. So that's that's really all I got, man. Do you and have I'm, anything else there that well, you think is... Just, uh, you know, there, there's all kinds of stuff and even, you know, a lot of speculation. I'm just going to throw this out there. You know, it doesn't seem to directly tie in with Nimrod. But something is going on with a group of scientists along the border of Switzerland and France, at, and they call it CERN. It's the superconducting super collider. It's the largest uh, super collider in the world. Didn't we used to do that in Waco? Yeah, they, they got started on that, <laughs> and then uh, the funding ran out, and they just couldn't <laughs> keep it going. But something is going on with CERN, and I'm, I'm just now kind of digging into it. Uh, apparently, and it's not put out, it's, it's, you know, certainly not the cover story, but apparently there are, is, a, is a general emphasis toward uh, punching a hole into another dimension. Mm. And apparently their goal is, you know, if you... Kind Shooting of re- arrows into heaven. Exactly. They're trying <laughs> to bring in other entities for what purpose, mm. you know? Could it be tied in with what Nimrod was trying to do, you know, some 4,000 years ago? I mean, we don't know necessarily, but, but it is very We know if a bunch of new languages come out of Switzerland, we'll know what's going on. Right. <laughs> I just put that out there, so just to keep an eye on it, because something is happening at CERN. And, you know, I don't suspect that we're going to open up another black hole. You know, on the earth, and we're all just going to get sucked into nothingness. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it doesn't help that we have a lot of science fiction we like. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'll be the first one to admit that, you know, I might be, I might be, uh, (laughs) but is it compromised a little? Where is the line between science fiction and science faction? Well, and that's true. You know, uh, there is, I don't know if you've, I'm a big fan of early science fiction, like H.G. Wells, Jules Verne. Um, Asimov, Asimov, yes, those are a little bit. You know, he's a little bit later, mm-hmm. but but yeah, Bradbury, Asimov, uh, Arthur C. Clarke, even those guys in the forties and the fifties, and mm-hmm. uh, oh, uh, Robert A. Heinlein, mm. these guys wrote things that were un. They're magical in the forties. How far ahead of time they were now? Where did they come up with this? Cell phones. Yeah, you know, in Space Cadet, which was a children's novel by Robert A. Heinlein, he talks about handheld phones 
that are working without wires. That was unheard of in their time. Okay, but what do we have now? You know, Arthur C. Clarke is right. You know, it, it seems like magic. Well, you have you have the pyramids down in in South America that clearly show what looks to be like jet fighters. They're jet airplanes mm. that are inscribed on the ground. On yeah. well, you know, well you have the Nazca lines and all that. But I'm, I'm talking about they they it clearly. I mean, you cannot ignore that. That looks like uh, a a runway? <laughs> well, no, I'm talking about the actual plane. It, it looks like an airplane. Oh, okay, gotcha. It clearly looks like, and it is, they actually made a, a replica model of this uh, uh, enough, and it, it was to where they could, uh, they made an exact replica, just scaled it up, and it flew. <laughs> you know, based on this little inscription <laughs> that they saw, this drawing uh, that was inscribed in one of the walls. You know, I mean, there, there, there's things that go way back that, and it's been lost to time, but they knew things. They mm. had to know things that, that had just been lost and we just don't have a record of. Right. So, wow. It's awesome. Well, the Theonauts is part of the Great Commission Transmission Network, using new media and social networking to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more or to partner with us, visit us at gctnetwork.com. You can subscribe to the newsletter there and stay up to date on the latest from all of our shows, including our friends over at Finding Christ in Cinema. There are several ways to contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnet or gctnetworks.com. You can call us on our voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast. Uh, catcher and don't forget to leave us some comments there and rate us tweet to us on twitter using at theonautical like us on facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts follow us on instagram at theonauts don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of god's word with us all right well thanks for being here brooke it was a pleasure thank you and uh Great to be here hopefully one of these days we can get jeremiah in here Gotta do it. Hopefully next week. (laughs) So God bless you. This has been Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission Transmission at GCTNetwork.com.